You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love More Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this Saturday, June the 5th, Off the Shelf. I'm so happy to have you here with us this morning. And this I'm going to kick off today's show, the first Saturday in June, here at Off the Shelf with a quote, Anonymous, sometimes later becomes never. I heard something the other day, and I forget exactly what it was in reference to, but the point was if you're waiting for the perfect time to start something, you're waiting for everything to line up before you start a family, take a job, uh, start your start a, a, a business, they said that time will never come because it will never in your mind be perfect. There will always be one little thing off, one more thing to do, to get your finances right, to do something right before you take that leap. And that's when sometimes later becomes never. And before you know it, ooh, the time has gone by and you haven't done what you said you set out to do. And so we're waiting for our guests to join today. And there's something I do on Off the Shelf, and I did this on the last show. Um, I just keep things going. We have publicists and artists who reach out to us, and I'm so grateful to request to be on the show. But then things come up, and I just learn to keep it moving. But for those of you who are loyal listeners, thank you for being here with us. If you're not subscribed to our newsletter, let's say you love all things books, because that's what Off the Shelf basically is. We're mainly all things story. We've had movie producers on. We've had movie script writers on. We've had editors, literary publishers. We've certainly had New York Times best-selling authors, Essence best-selling authors, and, and people just starting out in their careers. We've had entrepreneurs on who've written, who've written nonfiction books also on Off the Shelf as well. But but so this is All Things Story. If you love All Things Story, we just released our new issue of The Book Lovers Having, and that's a literary newsletter that I started, I want to say, that's been around about 15 or 20 years. And uh, you, you'd be at home with thousands of other people who love All Things Story. Uh, uh, and this this epi- this issue that just went out, I think it was yesterday, the book lovers have, and you can subscribe to it directly through my website at www.chistolchistol.com, chistol.com. You can subscribe to the book lovers have in there, and we manage it, our, our subscriptions through constant contact. But I sent out a monthly and holiday greetings. But this this one that went out last, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, was Gemini the Poet. And it was very odd how we connected. I was promoting my books with postcards, and she's like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I, I got this postcard. And I said, check out the website. I'd love to feature you on the Book Lovers Having in the book lovers have in the literary newsletter and she did a phenomenal interview she's very well known in the area i want to say she's in the minneapolis area the area where she lives she's very well known and it was actually i think a tragedy that introduced her into spoken word poetry and she's just really connected with and reached and had a deep connection with a lot of people but you can 
Let me know if you want a copy of The Book Lovers Have, and if you're not currently subscribed, again, just go to the website, www.chistelchistel.com, and you can subscribe to The Book Lovers Have, and, 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 and if you, you won't be able to get a back issue that way. So if you want a back issue, like with Gemini the Poet, just email me, Contact me to chistel.com, and I can and just tell me you want to get a, a the copy with Gemini the poet in it and the book lovers having, and I can get that copy to you. So again, sometimes later becomes never. You guys, it is. I don't know what the weather is like where you are, but it was rainy here. I'm on the east coast in the southern part of the uh, United States. It was rainy here. I think it was two Wednesday and Wednesday and Thursday rainy, and I do like the rain, but I also like the sunshine, and the sun is out today, so I'm gr- very grateful for the sun being out, and I'm very grateful for each of you who've joined us here on Off the Shelf this morning. Uh, I, I just love connecting with you guys, whether I connect with you on social media, uh, uh, I'm, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. Uh, Denise Turney, DT Writers on Twitter. And so I just love connecting with you, and there's so many people who I've been blessed to have follow me on social media uh, networks, uh, over 15,000 on Twitter, and, and I, I forget how many thousand on Facebook and then on Instagram. I'm not on there as much, but heading toward 400. But thanks to all of you who, who connect with us. So today, and I sent our, our special guest who came to us through a literary agent, uh, who a, a publicist, I should say, reached out to us to get him on the show. Um, but I'm, until he joins, uh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to do another reading. I did a reading last week. I'm going to do a reading from Love Pour Over Me. And stay excited, you guys. Stay excited. When you reach out for something, uh, whether it's to be on a show or you interview for a job or you're just starting a relationship. And I've seen this, I can tell you doing off the shelf, I've seen this firsthand. We are so excited and eager to do the interview, to get started on the job, to start the relationship, but stay excited through the whole thing. Some some kind of way, keep yourself enthused and motivated. Uh, stay on track, stay on schedule, and stay excited through the whole process, not just the ideal of something occurring, but as the whole time that the, you're going through the process, stay excited. I just want to keep saying that. Stay excited through the whole process. A lot of times we're only excited at the beginning. Uh, we're only excited at the beginning. We're super excited when we start a fitness regimen or a diet. We're super excited at the beginning of a relationship when we first move into a home, we first start a job, start a company. We're super excited to, to tell somebody I want to be on such and such event. And then we, we just start to, like a balloon deflating, the excitement goes away and everything changes. Stay excited through the whole thing. And who knows, maybe that's one of the keys to long-term success. Who can stay excited? Who can keep their energy up the whole way? I know the scriptures say the race does not go to the one who's running the faster, but who can who can keep going? Who can stay who can stay on the path? Who can keep going? So stay excited. I'm gonna do a, a reading from 
love pour over me, and thank you to all of you for your support and the thumbs up. So I'm going to do a reading from Love Pour Over Me, and this is one of my latest books, but uh, I just re- re- recently released my first juvenile book. It'll be my first series book, and maybe the only, and it's the Rosetta book series. I encourage you, Miss Rosetta. Rosetta, the talent show queen, what is she up to at the Harriet Tubman? It's a multicultural school, the biggest event after school. What is Miss Rosetta up to? You'll have to get a copy of Rosetta, the talent show queen, to find out. But the, all my other books are adult books. And this love pour over me is 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 one of my more recent adult books. I should have out by August, running toward freedom. That'll be my newest adult book, and that should be out. When I say adult, they're literary books, uh, literature, uh, family sagas, etc. But running toward freedom, look for it in August of this year. Just just a few more weeks, you guys. Got to turn it over to my editor. So love pour over me, section one, chapter one. It was Friday afternoon. I kick it off right away letting you guys know what time period the story is taking place in. It was Friday afternoon, June fifteenth, 1984. Raymond Clark lay across his bed. An empty bowl of popcorn was on the floor. Snacking did literally ease his excitement. In less than three hours, his year-round efforts to prove himself deserving of unwavering acclaim would be validated in front of hundreds of his classmates. Tonight was his high school graduation, the day he had dreamed about for weeks. He knew his grades were high enough to earn him academic honors, even more than his grades were his athletic achievements. He hadn't been beaten in in a track race in three years. He won the state half-mile mile run for the last six years. I love to run myself, and Raymond was something. Since he was in high school, people would cheer wildly for him tonight. The television was turned up loud. Carl Lewis threatens to break Bob Beeman's historic long jump record at the Olympic Trials in Los Angeles this weekend, an ESPN sportscaster announced. Beeman's record has stood for 16 years. Lewis, Raymond got so caught up in the mention of the upcoming Olympic Games that he didn't hear the front door open. Ray, his father Malcolm, shouted as soon as he entered the house. What? Raymond leaped off his bed and hurried into the living room. Dad, what? Boy, if you don't get your junk, Raymond watched his father wave his hand. Over the sofa, the place where he'd thrown his sports bag as soon as he got home from graduation practice at school. Get this sports crap up, Malcolm growled. Silence filled the house. Raymond grabbed his sports bag, carried it into his bedroom, and tossed it across his bed. His father exited the living room and entered the kitchen. Like a dark shadow, frustrations from spending 10 hours working at a drab automobile plant where he drilled leather seats into one Ford Mustang after another, while his line supervisor stood at his shoulder and barked, Focus, Malcolm, get your production up. Followed him there. It was in the furrow of his brow and in the pinch of his lip. Ray! Raymond cursed beneath his breath before he left his bedroom and hurried into the living room. Seconds later, he stood in the kitchen's open doorway. He watched his father toss an envelope on the table. Ladder from Baker came in the mail. Something about you getting some awards when... He reached to the center of the kitchen table for a bottle of still fervor. He stopped hiding the alcohol when Raymond turned five. The alcohol looked like liquid gold. Felt that way to Malcolm, too. You graduate tonight. 
Malcolm took a long swig of the whiskey and squinted against the burn. He tried to laugh but only coughed up spleen. You're probably the only kid in the whole school who got a ladder like this. Everybody up at Baker knows nobody cares about you. Ladder said they thought I'd want to let all your relatives know you're getting some awards so they come and support you. Again, Malcolm worked at laughter, but instead, instead coughed a dry, scratchy cough that went long and raw through his throat. We both know ain't nobody going to be there but me and your sorry ass. Don't mean nothing anyhow. They just, they're just giving these diplomas and awards away nowadays. On his way out of the kitchen, bottle in hand, he shoved the ladder against Raymond's chest. And I just want to tell you guys, thanks for enjoying the, the reading of Love Pour Over Me. I'm going to keep reading from, from more from the book, but to give you a little backstory, Raymond is, he is one athletic and academic standout. He's growing up in West Dayton. Anybody who's from Dayton, it knows the West Dayton area can be a tough area, but it's just—it's also culturally vibrant, especially now during the 1980s. If those of you from West Dayton know Gettysburg and those areas, but anybody living in any city in the world uh, can understand a, a place is culturally vibrant. But there's also crime there, and there's there's a lot of hard challenges. And Raymond's mother has w- walked off when he was two years old. A lot of readers don't like care for his father at the beginning. They would just curse his father. They hated him. But his character is so strong, I guess he pulls a lot of emotion out of readers. But his father is the one, you guys, who stayed after his mother left when Raymond was only two years old. And she, she she went off with another man, and Raymond's father is difficult. He's a hard worker, though. He's somebody who's rarely missed a day of work, but he has not untreated alcoholism and anybody who grew up with a parent who had alcoholism even if they're going into therapy for it or or going to alcoholics anonymous unfortunately i didn't but have a, a relative who did have a parent who had alcoholism it is tough but raymond has managed you guys and he's the only child on top of it so he doesn't even have a brother or sister to bounce his experiences that he's having with his father off of he's dealing with all of this by himself in isolation. Uh, so anyway, so I say where his father, he shoved the ladder against Raymond's chest beginning with the reading again, and I'm on the second page, the bottom, getting flipped to the third page, in Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney. It's in ebook and in print. Again, Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney. If you want a copy, you don't see it in the libraries or the bookstores, just ask the clerk for it you guys uh, who are enjoying this reading, and they can just tell me you want to get a copy of Love Over Me by Denise Turney, and they can order a special copy, and, and you can come in and get it from the, uh, the library or the bookstore when it comes in. So to continue the reading, Raymond listened to his father's footsteps go heavy up the back stairs while he stood alone in the kitchen. When the footsteps became a whisper, he looked down at the ladder. It was printed on good stationery, the kind Baker High School only used for special occasions. Didn't matter, though. Raymond took the letter and ripped it once, twice, three times, over and over again, until it was only shreds of paper. Then he walked to the tall kitchen wastebasket next to the gas stove and dropped the bits inside. Ray! His father was so hard on him. He froze from the sound of his father's voice. He knew he was at the top of the stairs. Give me that letter so I'll remember to go to your graduation tonight. Raymond twisted his mouth at the foulness of the request, the absolute absurdity of it. He didn't answer. Instead, he turned and walked back inside his bedroom. He grabbed his house keys and headed outside. The edge of the walkway, he heard his father shout, Ray! Raymond didn't turn. He walked down the tree-lined sidewalk the way he learned to walk since kindergarten with his head down. 
He stepped over raised cracks in the worn sidewalk, turned away from boarded windows of two empty, dilapidated buildings, and told himself the neighborhood was just like his father, old, useless, unforgiving, and hard. A second-floor window back at the house went up. Malcolm stuck his head all the way out the window. Get your ass back here, he hollered down the street. Raymond sprang to his toes and started to run. His muscular arms and legs went back and forth through the cooling air like propellers, like they were devices he used to try to take off, leave the places in his life he wished had never been. It was what he was good at. All his running had earned him high honors in track and field. He was Ohio's top modeler. He made Sports Illustrated four times since middle school. Ray! Yo, man, you better go back, Joey chuckled as, as Raymond slowed to a stop. Joey, a troubled 18-year-old neighbor who dropped out of school in the 10th grade, leaned across a Pontiac sunbird waxing his hood. If you don't, your old man's going to beat your ass good. Uh, Ray's cool, Stanley, an equally troubled 21-year-old who pissed on school and failed to get a diploma, a man who couldn't read beyond the third grade level, said. He stood next to Joey. His hands were shoved to the bottoms of his pants pockets. And we know that brother can run. Damn, we all can run, Stanley laughed. Ray, remember that night? We ran away from that Texaco station. Our wallets all fat. Joey laughed. He talked so loudly. Raymond worried he'd be overheard. Raymond, Ray, uh, oh, thought we agreed to let that go, Raymond said. He looked hard at Joey. Then he looked hard at Stanley, and the nine-month-old deal was sealed. Another secret for Raymond to keep. One glance back at his father's house, and Raymond started running again. He ran past Gruder's old upholstery, an old upholstery company, intruded all by the small one convenience store, all the way to the Trotwood Recreation Center, six miles farther into the city. Houses were larger in Trotwood than they were in Dayton. Lawns filled with flowers that swayed in the wind. Neighborhoods were quieter too. As a boy, when his father drove him through Trotwood on the way to the Salem Mall, Raymond told himself that this is where his parents and he would have moved moved to and lived had his mother not fallen in love with another man had she stayed. Raymond sat in the bleachers at the recreation center watching an intramural basketball game for well over half an hour until he felt certain Malcolm had, in a rare respite, drunk himself into a modicum of civility. When he turned over his wrist and saw that it was after 5 o'clock, he ran every step of the six miles back home. The living room was empty. Raymond heard a noise akin to the rise and fall of a buzzsaw. He frowned toward the stairs and mumbled, He's asleep. Well, he exited the living room and entered his bedroom. ESPN was still on. He went straight to his closet and pulled out his favorite pair of black nylon dress pants, a crisp white button-down shirt, and a tie. Fifteen minutes later, he was showered, dressed, and standing in front of his bedroom mirror. His father was drunk. That he knew. It always went this way. Every night, like a religious habit, he spent his childhood watching his father drink half a bottle of whiskey every evening after he arrived home from work. When he was a little boy, he'd sit across from Malcolm at the kitchen table, swinging his legs back and forth like a pendulum clock, watching Malcolm turn a new shiny glass bottle up until it reached empty. He always brought a toy into the kitchen with him then, a race car or a plastic airplane. He'd push the toy back and forth across the table and sing out, Vroom, vroom! But he never took his eyes off his father. It was a time gone, like cement, down into Raymond's psyche. But that was years ago. Since then, Raymond had gotten into a few fist fights and had gone on more than one stolen car joyride with neighborhood boys he'd hoped would take him in as a good friend, but who never did. 
He dodged cops when they knocked on the door last spring. He just returned home from school. Mercy abounding, Malcolm was still at work. With a stiff blue cap squarely atop their heads, the cops questioned Raymond about the robbery at a nearby Texaco station. A wrong for Raymond, birthed out of a last-ditch effort to gain a neighborhood friend, but now a source of pain and regret. Raymond's academic and athletic reputations convinced the cops he was innocent. His refusal to rat out Joe and Stanley kept them from going to prison for the third time in less than two years. Never mind that Joey and Stanley kicked his butt when he was a kid until he bore new bruises. One's not put there by Malcolm. Never mind that cops badgered him, pounding Malcolm's living room table and promising, Ray, if you tell us what part Joey and Stanley played in the heist, we'll make sure nothing happens to you, and we'll go light on them. Raven didn't tell. If not for him, Joey wouldn't be waxing his car right now, and Stanley wouldn't be standing around trying to find something interesting to do. Despite the running, running with the law and Malcolm's drunken rages, verbal assaults that burst forth into outright physical beatings when Raymond reached puberty, Raymond had found a way to stay alive. He had made it to 17. He was running a brush across the top of his hair when the phone rang. Hello? Ray, Raymond Clark? Speaking. The man laughed. Big night for you. Raymond placed the brush atop his dresser. Who is this? You'll come to recognize my voice soon enough, the man jokes. Coach Carter? Coach Reginald Carter? Yes, wanted to call and congratulate you on graduation tonight. Have a good time, son. Look forward to seeing you on campus in what, one, two weeks? Yeah, Raymond nodded soon. Congratulations again, Ray. You deserve it. Heard you did better than good this year. Heard you did great. Thanks. Raymond opened his hand and watched the receiver fall gently against his cradle. A bird squawked outside his window, and he stared across his room at nothing in particular. He couldn't count the number of calls he received from college track and field scouts over the last two years. He told his father about none of the calls. When Malcolm pushed and demanded, Where you going to school next year, boy? Raymond always told him what he knew he wanted to hear. He always looked right at his father and told him, Ohio State. With the phone dead and Coach Carter's voice gone, Raymond returned to the living room and sat on the sofa in silence. The front door was open. Through the screen door, warm summer air carried the scent of fried pork chops, chicken, and hamburger from neighboring houses into the living room. Because Malcolm's kitchen table was bare and the refrigerator held only beer, wine coolers, a bowl of two-week-old broccoli, a pint of cottage cheese, and a celery stalk, Raymond served himself an evening meal through his nose. As if he could get full on the smell of food, he tilted his head back and inhaled in long, slow breaths. In the living room, the second hand on the battery-operated Ingram wall clock ticked and slid forward, ticked and slid forward. Soon Raymond had the phone in his hand again. Yo, Paul, he said to his high school track teammate, the one guy who gave him good athletic competition, someone he considered a real good friend. When are you leaving for the convention center? Five minutes. Man, you know we have to be there an hour before the ceremony starts. I'm running late as it is, he paused. You need a ride? Can you swing by and get me on your way? My mom and dad are driving. I mean, man, please help me out, he sighed, even though I got my license a year ago. You know my dad's not going to let me drive his Camaro. Your pops ain't coming. Yo, Paul, homie, Raymond begged. All right, all right. The Dayton Convention Center was packed. 400 students, their purple and white caps and gowns, making them the focal point of attention, filled the front of the main auditorium. A mass of parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, and cousins, setting the raised seats at the back of the room. 
The program started with a slew of speeches, enough to make the students wriggle in their seats. Over time, the evening began to take on an unwanted hue. A stale fatigue came into the air, started to make the graduation ceremony feel boring. Then a good thing happened. Principal Bernard Jones approached the microphone, and everyone in the auditorium was set up. And now, Principal Jones said, it's time to hand out the diplomas. Cheers went up and drowned Principal Jones' voice like confetti that had been tossed toward the ceiling. It was a long time before the cheers came down. It was 8 o'clock. Raymond told himself not to, but he turned partway and glanced over his shoulder. It was as if he'd suddenly been plagued with dementia because he forgot the years of abuse heaped upon him with Malcolm's callous hands. He wanted Malcolm to walk through the convention center door sober and real proud-like. He wanted Malcolm to be glad to call him son. To the students, as I call out your name, please stand and make your way onto the stage. Principal Jones flipped through a stack of staple papers, and he pushed his mouth close to the microphone and said slowly, Sharon Appleseed, a loud round of applause, whistling, and where the girls pissed there. It went on like that for more than an hour until all but two students had received a diploma, Raymond and Janice Thompson, a bright 16-year-old who sat in a wheelchair due to spina bifida. Principal Jones sang Janice's praises. Hers had been a stellar academic career right from the start. She's earned her way onto the honor roll every year since the second grade. She was voted to Girl State by our finest instructors. She has won three presidential academic citations and Principal Jones laughed. I'm sure her parents appreciate this more. Most she has earned a full scholarship to Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia. Principal Jones' hand went out. Ladies and gentlemen, he beamed. Please stand and congratulate the class of 1984 salutatorian Janice Thompson. Janice pushed the wheelchair toward the stage, and everyone stood and applauded wildly. Amid the swell of noise and the sea of people, Raymond looked over his shoulder and searched every face for Malcolm. His gaze darted in a crazed fashion. Then he felt a tap on the shoulder. It was his friend Paul. They sat next to each other. Yo, man. Is your pops coming? Raymond turned away from Paul, faced the stage, and stood tall, head up, shoulders back. When Paul tapped him again, he jerked his shoulders hard and shrugged him off. The auditorium grew quiet. And now it's time for us to bestow the top honor, Principal Jones smiled before he said, This young man has earned high commendations academically and athletically. In short intervals, Paul, several members of the track team, and Raymond's high school track coach turned and looked to the back of the auditorium toward the entrance doors. They prayed for Malcolm to show. Damn! Paul muttered when he turned around and faced the stage for the eighth time. He bumped shoulders with the guy who stood next to him. That asshole ain't coming. He lowered his head and his voice. Race pops ain't coming. This young man has earned all city, all county, all state, and top national honors and cross country and track and field. In fact, twice he's been listed as a top high school model in the country by Sports Illustrated and Track and Field News. He has earned four presidential academic citations. He's been on the honor roll since the seventh grade. Principal Jones scanned the auditorium for Malcolm. When he didn't see him, he spoke slower and started to make things up in the hopes that time would become Raymond's friend. I remember when he first came to Baker, he was a scared young man, but not anymore. He pursed his lips and gave Raymond a nod. He's ready to take advantage of the full scholarship his achievements have gained him. Principal Jones glanced at the doors. A few students and several parents squirmed in their seats. Some people glanced at their watches as if to say, come on. He has maintained a 4.0 grade point average since the ninth grade. He hasn't missed a day of school since the third grade. The doors demanded his attention again but no one came through them. Ladies and gentlemen, please congratulate Baker High School's class of 1984, Valerie Victoria and Raymond Clark. Paul 
clapped until his hands stung. A few students stood in their seats and hollered, Go, Ray! Before long, a chant went up. All the students pumped their fists in the air and shouted, Raymond! Raymond! Raymond's heart beat wildly in his chest. He clamped his teeth down against his bottom lip and jailed the rising emotion. He extended his hand when he neared Principal Jones' side. Well done, Principal Jones told him as he handed him his diploma. He patted Raymond's back. You did a fine job, son. He shook his head. A fine job. The chain lock was on the... And then moments later, or a half an hour later, the chain lock was on the front door when Raymond got home that night. He jiggled the chain and tried to get it to slide open. When that didn't work, he walked to the back of the house and tried to open the rear door, the one leading to the backyard. He cursed as he realized the chain lock was on the back door as well. Then he looked for an opening. He was in luck. The kitchen window was ajar just enough to allow him entry. He grunted and pushed up. The screen didn't even bang when it landed in the sink. He crawled through the window like a thief. When he reached the stairs, he saw a flicker of light coming from the second floor. Dad, he called out softly, then louder as he made his way up the stairs. Dad, a newly pressed blue striped suit coat hung across the chair in the corner of his father's bedroom. The television was turned down so low it sounded like it was humming. Dad, the bed was empty, covers bunched together near the foot. The shade to the lamps, the room's one lamp was tilted as if someone had punched it. Dad! Raymond walked across the hall. He started screaming, Dad! He ran back down the stairs. Dad! He screamed as he made his way through the house. He saw the shadow, curled and bent like an old man at his bed's edge. Silence was his escort into his own room. Malcolm stood slowly. His body leaned right from his shoulders to his ankles. His hands were clenched. His eyes were slits. Why didn't you tell me, he demanded. His hands and his arms and his legs quaked. He took heavy Frankenstein-like steps toward Raymond. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? When no more than a few inches separated them, Raymond saw the red in his father's eyes. Malcolm stepped forward again, and this time Raymond stepped back, prepared to duck. Tell you what, he stammered. Fear had gone into his body. He felt like instead of blood, electricity was coursing through his veins. Why didn't you tell me? What? What, Dad? Raymond screamed. Tell you what? Malcolm took one last step forward. Then he thrust his hands open and threw bits of paper into Raymond's face. The paper fell against Raymond's nose, his mouth. Why didn't you tell me you were graduating today? Malcolm's body shook. He turned and looked for a chair, the bed, someplace to sit down. It's all done for you, he cried. You tore up the ladder. You just walked off and left me upstairs asleep, he shouted and slurred. You knew, Raymond said. I thought you'd just come. I couldn't be late. I had to go. And We both know how mean you can be when I wake you up. Ah, Malcolm grunted, took a swipe at Raymond's face, and lost his ba- but lost his balance and only grazed his nose. I wanted you there, Raymond tried. I looked for you. Malcolm bowed his hand and raised it. This time his hand landed in the center of Raymond's forehead. Just now, Raymond hated his father enough not to be afraid of him. One heart emotion swapped out for another. Again and again, Malcolm's fist landed against across Raymond's nose, his shoulders, his chest. Malcolm was so inebriated, his fist fell away. Almost as soon as they found the spot. Who did it, Ray? He only wept, openly wept. Who fed you, huh? Who clothed you, huh? Who made sure you got to that damn school, huh? He went on to point at his chest, but ended up leaning back. So far, he fell across the bed. Huh? He asked again when he set Polly up. Not your mother. She laughed when you were just a kid. Who? He demanded. Who? He stood and shrieked. Who took care of you? You did, Raymond said. His teeth were clenched so tight his jaws ate. You better believe it was me. Malcolm began. He didn't finish. The bed caught him seconds before vomit spewed out of his mouth. Raymond stood by the door with his white button-down shirt and tie still on. 
Then he came back into the room, used the hem of his shirt to wipe vomit off his father's mouth and tucked his father into his bed. He spent the night on the living room sofa. ESPN hummed in the background. He looked up at the ceiling and wondered if he could call Coach Coach Carter first thing in the morning and tell him that he wasn't going to come to university after all because he had to stay home and take care of his sick father, a middle-aged man who had not started to drink until after his wife laughed him for a has-been professional football player when Raymond was only two years old. Or he wondered why he stood up at the ceiling. Should I just go hundreds of miles away from here? And I'm going to stop right there, and I encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. You can read even more. i got more free excerpts at my website again, which is www.chistol, C-H, C-H in hat, C-H-I-S-T-E-L-L.com. You can get it in ebook or print book, Amazon, Apple Books, Google Books, iTunes, Barnes & Noble, paperback, ebook. You can get it in anywhere that books are sold. If you don't see it on the shelf, just ask the clerk. You want to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney. They can order you a special copy because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. And they'll just call you when the book is ready and you can come in and get it. Please, please go get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. You'll see a, On the cover, you'll see a, a, a guy that's Raymond on the top. And then his soulmate, Brenda, wait till she shows up on the scene, y'all. She's at the bottom. So it's Raymond at the top, and, and the way it's designed, you'll see it. And Love Pour Over Me is in the middle of it. Please, today, go get yourself. Treat yourself so you can hear the rest of the story of Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney. I want to thank all of y'all for being here with me today. Those of you who came in, so, so many ways to join uh, off the shelf. And for those of you who... who who came in midway and you're like, oh, my God, I want to hear the rest of the beginning. When the show finishes streaming, you can go back when it's streaming and listen to it and share it with as, with as many people as you like. I don't do too many book readings, and that long one, I, that's like a rare. I probably haven't done that long ever or in years. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. And please come back next Saturday. Our guest, who a literary publicist, reach out to me to have on the show, didn't show up, but I don't make assumptions. I just hold the guests in prayer, never know what happened. could be an accident, a family emergency, things come up. But one thing I, I hope I set an example that, I, that I've learned doing off the shelf, you got to keep it moving. I don't care what happens, you got to keep it moving. And whatever you want to do, go out and start doing it, because sometimes later becomes never, and you don't want to have that happen to you. You want to fulfill your dreams. Remember, you're awesome, you're amazing, you're incredible. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Thank you to all our guests who joined via phone and so many platforms people check out off the shelf. Thank you to all of you. Thanks for the thumbs up on the book readings to all of you who gave me a thumbs up. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate you guys, and I acknowledge you. Bye for now. <laughs>